And now, more sports and torts with David Spada and Elliot Heron. Welcome back. And now part two of our interview with Charlie Winner. How hard was it to stay when Weeb was fired as coach under Don Shula? Did you feel like you were basically stabbing Weeb in the back? Yeah. It was a strange feeling because we were all worried about our jobs. And Weeb had, was coaching the senior bowl at that time in, uh, uh, in Mobile, Alabama. And Weeb had the job of coaching the senior bowl for several years, so he would always, he could only take two assistant coaches at that time. And that year was not my turn to go. We only had four assistant coaches, so two would go one year and two would go the other year. So I was in Los Angeles. They always sent the coaches to the uh, NCAA meeting, coaches, college coaches meeting. You talk to the coaches to get information on players. And so Don McCafferty and I had to go to cover the coaches' uh, meeting. So I'm worried about the game, and so I, I call Weeb, and I said, Weeb, should I be out here doing the coach business, or should I be looking for a job? He said, well, I just talked to Carol Rosenblum, and he says, we're okay. The next day, it was in the paper, we were fired. So you never know what's going to happen. So, uh, and then, uh, Shula kept McCafferty and John Sandusky, and he, he, he told me he wasn't going to keep me. And so, you know, I, I was worried. I started looking around. But then, he made, he made, uh, Joe Campanella and Gino Marchetti and Bill Pellington player coaches. And they talked to Shula and said, listen, Charlie's the only guy who knows all our defenses and stuff like that. <laughs> so Shula called me back. He called me up to the hotel one night. Uh, he and his wife were up there and, and said, uh, I've decided to keep you on my staff. And see, I, I knew Shula when he was, uh, when I first went to, uh, Case Tech in Cleveland, Shula was a, a senior playing on John Carroll University across town. Uh, rival, and so I knew Shula and Carl Tassif at that time, so I went back a long time with him. Yeah, yeah. Shula was what a defensive back, and he was uh, a defensive back, right? And, uh, and a lot of people don't know he was roommates with Art Donovan when they were teammates with the Colts. They had a house together. Yeah, they did. Matter of fact, <laughs> when Nancy and I went to Cleveland. Shula had a bed for sale. <laughs> he sold his bed, and we bought his bed for one of our extra bedrooms. <laughs> Art Donovan told us before he passed away that him and uh, Don Shula used to wrestle on the floor at the house. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. <laughs> I don't think Shula would have much of a chance because Donovan was a roly-poly guy. He'd be hard to get his arm around, <laughs> get your arms around him. He was a great storyteller, but half of the stories <laughs> he made up. And, you know, his father was Art Donovan, the famous boxing official. Right. Right. I remember when I was a kid, you used to listen to the championship fights on radio, and they would say, and officiating is Arthur Donovan. <laughs> I remember that. Right. And he used to come to our training camp every now and then, and he was a good... Storyteller. 
<clears throat> Art Donovan's dad didn't have to break up any fights at training camp, did he? No, no, but I can't remember. I can't remember ever having a fight uh, the players. Any place I've been, I can't remember any fights in training camp. <laughs> Always a lot of hard work, sweat, and humor. One example of the humor is uh, Jim Parker had an off-season job of selling cemetery lots. And at training camp, he was trying to sell Big Daddy Lipscomb a couple of lots and Big Daddy... <laughs> resisted him but one time we were out there about uh for the afternoon practice and it was hot and they're all laying on the ground doing calisthenics and so forth and uh big daddy said hey jim i'll take two of those lots but they gotta be in the shade (laughs) (laughs) big daddy was a pretty good football player oh big daddy he could run i was still fairly fast in those days and uh so Big Daddy challenged me to a race across the field, and I wouldn't have run with him unless I thought I could beat him. And that son of a gun beat me. <laughs> okay, he just he, he could run. We had a we had a defense once where the the defensive tackle would drop out, and he had to cover. If it was a close flare, he had to cover the close flare. And Paul Horning came out on a close flare. And went for about 40 yards down into the end zone, and Big Daddy was step for step with him and reached up and knocked the ball down. So, <laughs> big, big, and Big Daddy could, it was a heck of a basketball player. He could do all the globetrotter tricks. You know, all the teams in the offseason had a basketball team and barnstormed to make some extra money. And Big Daddy was, he was a very fine basketball player. Was it tough on Coach Shua when he took over the Colts, being that he was so young? No. Uh, you see, I think one reason that that, uh, that Rosenblum hired Shula was because he was one of the players. And there were a lot of them there. And there was nobody. There, there's, there was some shenanigans going on. And that's so Shula was hired. And... There wasn't any rumblings because uh, Marchetti and Pellington and Campanella became player player coaches, and so things were pretty well controlled. We didn't have any problem. And Shula's a very smart guy and a good coach, and he 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 knows his football. And a coach doesn't have any trouble with players. As long as you know what you're talking about, you can't BS a pro, though. How did the job with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals come about? I don't know how it came about, but all of a sudden I was called by Stormy Bidwell. The the, the Cardinals were owned by Stormy and Bill Bidwell, both adopted by the the, the Bidwell family. Right. And they didn't. They never got along real well. So Stormy called me in. <laughs> Excuse me for an interview, and I didn't even see Bill. And Stormy took me around and, and you know asked me the usual questions and so forth. So about a week later, Bill calls me in for an interview, <laughs> and I Bill took me up to his apartment and and uh, and uh, he had some little kids. I got along real well with the young kids because I like young kids. 
<laughs> Bill later told me, because the, the two of them didn't converse about anything. He said, you got the job because when we were sending our notes back and forth, your name appeared the most. <laughs> but I don't know how I, they first, you know, uh, decided to interview me. But it, it worked out. How, how did the, the tra- what was the transition going from uh, Baltimore to St. Louis for you? Well, I, I was in pro football a good number of years and, uh, you know, had a lot of good players. And I felt that I was, you know, I was ready for a job. A lot of, a lot of guys that came along with me already had gotten jobs and uh, I didn't and I thought I was I was ready and I was very happy to get the job and I liked St. Louis and and I told you uh, both of my daughters married St. Louis boys and you came to a team that had some some players on it, it you know they had they weren't winning any championships but no, no, we had some pretty good players, and uh, and that's one reason the job was attractive. And we started out doing pretty well my first year, and we were leading the league, and then uh, uh, Charlie Johnson, my quarterback, got hurt for the rest of the season. And we didn't have a, a backup quarterback. Uh, but you, you did have a rookie on the bench by the name of Jim Hart. Yeah, Jim Hart uh, was from Southern University, uh, uh, Southern Illinois University, and he was on the bench and hadn't had any playing experience. And uh, I, I didn't play him in, uh, in, in the, the last couple of games because I didn't think he was ready. But uh, Jim Hart developed into a pretty darn good quarterback. And... I still see Jim. He lives uh, south of us in Naples, and every now and then he'll come up and we'll have lunch together. But uh, Jim became a pretty good quarterback. But after I was fired, they hired they hired some guy from the Minnesota staff, and he he didn't play hard. Some of the good players he didn't play, and then that was that was the problem. And you had a pretty, and you had a pretty good safety in Larry Wilson. Larry Wilson, <laughs> Larry Wilson was the kind of ball player you look for in a draft. A successful pro football player is one that is self motivated. If, if you have a guy that you got to build a fire under him each week, uh, you're eventually not going to win. And that's what Lombardi meant when he said he's not our kind of people, or he is our. Lombardi looked. For people that were self-starters, self-motivated players, and that's uh, that's a big part of the, of the game. If you have players that, like like Larry Wilson, he was self-motivated player, and he was always ready to always ready to do the job. And he he was, uh, as I recall, we put in a safety blitz, and he was the first safety to blitz. Yeah, <clears throat> and. It seemed like every time that he blitzed, he got the quarterback or the running back. Yeah, that's right. He was a good football player. He played one one game. He had two casts on one cast on each hand, and he still played. Another pretty good player you had was on the offensive side of the ball, 
a decent tight end by the name of Jackie Smith. Now, my memories of Jackie Smith are they nobody could one guy could never tackle him. So he usually ended up getting pushed out of bounds or take about three or four guys to bring him down. Was it that way in practice as well? Yes, Jackie Smith was a good football player. He wasn't as big as the tight ends are today, but he was bigger than, you know, the regular receivers, and he could block. He was a tenacious guy, and he could run. He he had real good speed and tremendous hands and tremendous motivation. Uh, Jackie was, I can't say enough about the guy. He, he, he could have played wide receiver. He had good good speed, good moves, and he worked hard at the game. Now, I, I've always respected his ability to play, and I was very happy that I had him. I was happy that I had most of the guys. I inherited a pretty good team. The guy that, that I replaced, Wally Lim, was a pretty darn good football coach. The, the, the thing I remember about Wally Lim is whenever he'd be interviewed in uh, – He'd show up on TV. He, the, his pauses between words would be, uh, you know, he, he, and, and that's what I remember about Wally yeah. Lem. But I, <laughs> no, but Wally was a good football coach. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know him personally. Yeah. Well, you, you had some pretty good, uh, pretty good backfield with a young Johnny Rowland and Prentice Scott and Willis Crenshaw. Though. Yeah, those those were three pretty tough running backs, I think. Oh yeah, John Rowland from the University of Missouri. I I still think John Rowland. He coached for a number of years in the league. I still think John Rowland would have made a a good head coach. John Rowland as a running back. I used to talk to him. He knew all the blocking on on the running plays. Uh, he didn't know just his own assignment. He knew all the blocking and. He was a very intelligent young man, and uh, I often thought that uh, he was overlooked. Uh, he, I think he had head coaching potential. Yeah, well, you know, he came along at a time where he, he, you didn't have African-American head coaches in the NFL. You know? Right, right. And yeah, that's a shame because uh, uh, a lot of good people were overlooked, and John was one of them. Yeah. Who was your biggest rival when you were coaching the Cardinals? New York Giants. That was always a, a tough team for us. Well, they, what made them? What made them so tough? They were always competitive. Always competitive. They had a good football team. Charlie Connolly was the quarterback, and uh, Gifford and uh, uh, Alex Webster. Uh, they, they, uh, Leski, I think his name was a lineman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they just had a good football team, and they 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 knew how to win games. And they had a good Jim Lee Howell was a good coach. And they, you know, they had good ownership in in the Mara family. Oh, well, I I think the Maras are over the years have been one of the finest ownerships in professional football and I think that shows in the production of the team over the years over the years the Giants have always been a threat and uh, I, I like Wellington Marion uh, I, I remember the the year that we got the the coaching job 
uh, in professional f- football. I was scouting the Senior Bowl, Mobile, Alabama, for the uh, for, for the Browns, and I spent Christmas Day with uh, Wellington Mara and Ann Mara. They were down there covering the game for the Giants, and I'll never for- forget that. And uh, I-, I-, I can remember. Uh, when Don Kellett, who was the general manager of the Colts, he was down here covering the game also, and so we had a flight together coming part way, way uh, 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 back. And I said to him, uh, "Have you con-? He, They were looking for a coach at the time. I said, "Have you considered this guy uh, Eubank?" He, yeah, we we were interested in him, but uh, Paul Brown said he wasn't interested in being a head coach. And I said, well, that's not true. I said, he's my father-in-law, and I know he's interested. <laughs> so he said, give me his telephone number. So I gave him, I gave him a telephone number, and they called him, and that's how it all started. Really? How did, you, how did you end up getting hired by George Allen? George Allen was an assistant coach at the Bears, and he and I came up together. You know, I got to know George over the years, and we became uh, very good friends, and then when he got the job uh, with the Washington, and, and we would always talk as head coaches, we'd always talk together. And I used to always get so mad at him because he was on the West Coast, and I'd be ready to go to bed, and he'd call me. <laughs> and he didn't bother him because he had three hours advantage at the time. And I got to know George over the years, and uh, and so when I was available, you know, uh, he hired me. Which I really appreciate because I learned a lot from George. George was a fine football coach, fine gentleman. And you were part of uh, the Washington Super Bowl team. Yes. What was that experience like? Well, uh, it was a very, I, I think we made a mistake. We got out there a day earlier than we should have. And we peaked the day earlier, and uh, we had a tremendous practice uh, late in the, in the week. And I, I felt that we we got there a day too early rather than coming in at the official time. George always wanted to have an advantage, so he thought it would be an advantage if we got there a day early. And and I I don't think it worked out that way. I think we 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 kind of lost the edge. How could you lose the edge by getting there a day early? I never understood that. Uh, say again? How could you lose your edge getting there early? Well, we got there early, and and, and all during the week, I, I think we peaked before we should have. Because we were really, at the, at the end of the week, we were really high, and I don't think we had the, the, the same peak that we should have had had we gotten there, you know, the one we should have. You know, people who are playing that Super Bowl have been around for years, and and the coaches know generally, you know, what what's the best thing. And uh, and Georgian trying to be extra efficient thought another day there would be an advantage, and it, it, it I think it. May have been, but it didn't work out that way because I felt that uh, earlier in the week we really had peaked at practice, and then we we just didn't seem to 
get any any higher. That's just my opinion, though. Yeah. It, it must have been interesting to compare that week to the, the 58 championship game and see how in a fairly short time the league had advanced and grown. Yeah. I, I think as coaches, we try sometimes to do too much. Uh, for, for example, I, I don't think we need all those weeks of preparation in, tra- in training camp. Uh, I mean, uh, we go to training camp, and within two weeks we play a game, a practice game, and we play uh, usually uh, five to six of them, and uh, we're always ready. So you know, we didn't. We don't need that much time in most cases. And I think the way the schedule has worked out, that the way things are going now, and the way things have, is the right way of doing of, of approaching it. And I don't, uh, you know, like I don't think that we should uh, uh, increase the preseason. And uh, I think everything is working out okay now. I think we play enough games in the regular seasons. So we just, it, it was a little different. It was different. Yeah. When you went to the Jets, you had Joe Namath as a quarterback. What was the difference between Joe Namath and a Johnny Unitas. It seemed like they were polar opposites, or is that just me? Well, they were they were different kind of people. Uh, they were both fine quarterbacks. They could both throw the ball. They could both call plays. Uh, Joe Namath, I think, got a reputation from the from uh, Sonny Werburn, who was the chief owner at that time, had been in show business. And they promoted stars differently than football players are promoted. And he tried to promote Joe to something that he wasn't, you know. A lot of times Joe would be out and he might be having a, uh, 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 or something and, uh, press would have him that, that they had to carry him out. And Joe wasn't that kind of a guy at all. Not that he didn't go out and have a good time, but he was one of the first guys there in the morning and one of the last guys to leave at night. And a very thoughtful individual. Uh, He he had the bad knees, and no telling how good he would have been had they operated in college on his knees when they were supposed to, just like Mickey Mantle's knees. and after I got fired, you know, people would come to Joe Namath because he's Joe Namath and say, now, Joe, have you heard about this treatment for arthritis and so forth? And he would call my wife and say, Mrs. Winter, have you heard about this? <laughs> and and that, he didn't have to do anything like that, you know, he, he, but he did it. And uh, so Joe is a very fine individual. John Unitas, great guy. Uh, <laughs> Worked his tail off, and uh, you never heard anything negative about about John. But he didn't have the press build up that Sonny Werblin built up with Joe Namath. Like Joe, they had him standing under the goalpost at a bowl game down in Alabama. Yeah, and we was the guy that signed him. Well, if if Namath had signed with the NFL team that had drafted him. You would have ended up coaching him with St. Louis. 
<laughs> I may not have gotten to St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, too. I may not have gotten there. <laughs> but I, I think Werblin understood that for for New York, the Giants were so entrenched yes. for, so, for so many generations that he had to make some sort of splash yeah. to, to create Broadway Joe was yep. part of to part of that if he was going to be competitive. If if yep. if Namath yep. had gone to you know let's say Pittsburgh or someplace that's more yeah. low low key, yep. he 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 doesn't become Broadway Joe. Yep. Well, that very Broadway Joe sure stuck with it. When I was with the Redskins, uh, we played the New York Jets. And uh, somebody in the press was asking, Bill Kilmer was our quarter, Billy Kilmer was our quarterback at the time. And he couldn't compare to uh, uh, Joe or to Sonny Jurgensen, who was supposed to be the number one guy. But he became our number one guy because he had a a big heart. So before the Redskins game, the newspapers were asking him about it. He said, well, it's going to be a battle between Broadway Joe and Beltway Billy. <laughs> And we beat him. <laughs> did, did anybody throw an uglier pass than Billy Kilmer? No, no. <laughs> no. Hey, and he, he, the, and he, he, was, he drank so much, his face was red, and they called him Furnace Face. <laughs> and but when he got in the huddle and he called the play, the guys had confidence in him. They knew that he was going to get the job done. You know, when he was a rookie... I guess it was San Francisco. He's coming up the the coast highway there. He had an accident, and they found him in a ditch with a bone sticking out of his leg. And they said he'll never play football again. Well, he played, and he had a heck of a great career. Yeah. He so, sure did. So did you draft my former favorite player of all time with the Dolphins, Dan Marino? Yes, Dan Marino. Was that an easy decision? Pardon? Was that an easy easy decision to draft him? No, because there were rumors about drugs and Marino. You know, somebody started a rumor to keep people away from him. And when it came on, uh, uh, Chuck Connor was our personnel man at the time and, uh, with the Dolphins. And uh, when it came... When it came our turn, you know, you you have four or five names up on a board that you're considering, and when it comes your turn, you got so many minutes to make up your mind. And Shula was uh, was hesitating about it, and Chuck Connor said, "We're taking Marino," and that was it. So Shula said, "Okay," and that's that's how we got Marino. I, I'm not saying that Don wouldn't have taken him anyway, but Chuck Connor stepped up right away. Because he's seen a lot of Marino. What was your position on it? I was I was the uh, director of pro scouting. I I had to watch all the pros that were uh, released, and if, if I wanted to bring him in for a tryout and so forth, to, so that during the season, if anything happened, I I have a whole list of replacements that we could get. Now, now they have a, uh, you know, you have a, like a taxi squad. Right. And all your years. And they still do that. They still bring in players to try them out, guys that have been left over. But that was my chief job when I went there. Then I ended up being director of total personnel. 
in all your years in the NFL, you've seen a lot of great players. Most of the people – in all your years in the NFL, you've seen a lot of great players. Most of the people Ellie and I have talked to, Hall of Famers, say Jim Brown was the best ever. Do you agree? I don't – I that's hard to say, you know. There's been so many fine football players. Jim Brown was one of the greatest, and I re- had a lot of respect for him. But there's been an awful lot of good ones. Go – just look at Sammy Ball and uh, uh, Sid Luckman and – uh, Bronco Nagurski. <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of and it's athletes in all sports have gotten better because of uh, nutrition and training facilities and training methods that naturally some of these guys are going to perform uh, better today. But to say that one guy was the greatest all time. I mean, golly, uh, there's been so many football players over the years that if you were going to start a team, I don't know who you'd start with. You've been a... <coughs> but Jim Brown was a great player. I remember he used to say that he visualized each play as it was called. He would go through that play on his mind and he'd always visualize that he was going for a touchdown, not just for a few years. He was going for a touchdown, and that always impressed me. Yeah. Now, I, I can remember Larry Wilson tackling Jim Brown, and I, you know, for one guy to bring him down, I yes. thought it was a minor, maybe a major miracle. Because Oh, yeah. Well, you're a St. Louis fan. Remember Pat Fisher played safety for us? Sure. Pat Number Fisher 37. was a real big, big guy. But he had the knack that he could go up and wrap around Big, Big Jim's legs and get him down. Yeah, yeah. Of course, Brown might have dragged him for another five or ten yards before he. He, he, he probably did. <laughs> <laughs> now you've you've coached in, in cities that have had fantastic food. Was, was there any city that, that you preferred over the other? Well, there was. When, when I was with the Washington Redskins, there was so much enthusiasm there that when a team was introduced, it's the first time in my life, and I was in professional football for 37 years, that I would get chills up and down my back because the Redskins fans were so enthusiastic. And, and the fans are good. Professional fans, I think, are great. But there was just something there that... It it just got me anyhow, yeah. and I don't know whether other people feel that way or not. But uh, it was so much enthusiasm that uh, I I got chills. But uh, as far as dining out, did, did you have a, one town? I mean, I, you know, Baltimore crab cakes. Uh, oh, I love those Baltimore crab cakes. <laughs> I I rate the Baltimore press box. In those days, number one because of the crab cakes. <laughs> I, I, I have a reputation of eating, and uh, a lot of people used to call me about. Uh, they were going to a certain town. What's your favorite restaurant? You know, and uh, there's a lot of good places to eat in this country. Definitely. 
And that's my problem is <laughs> that I like everything. When um, my mom put something on the plate, you know, uh, to me, that was the world's best. And everything, it doesn't take much to please me. So when, I'm not really a good judge because I, I might like things that other people don't like. Okay. What, what is the secret to a, a long, happy marriage? <laughs> Three words. Let's eat out. <laughs> Ladies like to hear that. <laughs> I thought it was just two words, yes, dear. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's part of it. <laughs> I always knew who your head coach was, and I still do. You've, one last question. You've worked with some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. You had Otto Graham. You had Johnny Unitas. You had Sonny Jurgensen, Joe Namath, Dan Marino. If you were to start a team, which quarterback? Oh my God! Boy, that is that is that is so tough. I I think I think you could be successful with any one of those guys because they all had what it took. You could even go back and put Sammy Ball in there, and I didn't have him. <laughs> you're not that old, right? Pardon? <laughs> you're yeah. you're not that old. No, you know, one of the Baltimore newspaper men was at training camp when Y.A. Tittle was a rookie with with uh, Baltimore. And they walked into the room, and Y.A. Tittle sitting there with his feet up on the desk and chair back. And the guy said, Y.A., what are you thinking about? And he said, I'm sitting here trying to think of something I can't do. <laughs> he had confidence in himself. And he was a pretty good quarterback, as it turned out. He was. Out. And he could play offense and defense and punt. <laughs> hey, and that's another thing you talked about, Jackie Smith. A lot of people don't know that Jackie Smith was an excellent punter. Yeah. And then he got hit one time on the thigh, and he got a, a, a calcium formation there that when he'd extend his leg to, to punt, it would hurt him. And that's why he stopped punting. But he was an excellent punter. That does it for another edition of Sports and Torts. I'd like to thank our guest, former NFL coach Charlie Winner, our executive producer Dave Olson. Tune in again next time to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Tune in.